You are now listening to the Superhero Education Podcast, featuring Professor Eugene Pitchford and Dr. Steve Gurner. We are real educators tackling the real topics in education. Listen to be informed, inspired, and entertained. With no further ado, here are your hosts to the Superhero Educators Podcast. We want to welcome everyone to the latest edition of the Superhero Education Podcast. It's myself, Eugene. Steve. And we are super excited that you're listening with us. Um, we definitely appreciate you, and you could definitely let your family, friends, and other educators know that we are on Apple, on Spotify, and you can check us out on Podbean if you have uh, neither of those two platforms. Steve, take it away. Sure. We're very excited today to have Jen Graff with us. She is a superhero educator out of Chicago. And the first time I went into Jen's classroom several, oh, this would be several years ago, instantly walking into the classroom, and you probably noticed this, uh, Eugene and other teachers out there, you know when you walk in the classroom that you have a remarkable teacher with you. So I walk in the classroom, I see, before I even walk in, I see on the door, I knew they were studying bats because there was a bat cave, there were uh, pictures of bats that student projects with bats, and you walk in, you, I could continue it to know what they were learning right away by walking in the classroom, so it was just incredible. There were activities with the smart board, literature circles, centers, and I said, I have to meet this teacher, and Jen's with us, and that was several years ago, and I was able to keep track uh, with Jen and her professional life and see the great things she's doing in classrooms. So it's been a great treat for me to uh, follow her, and you definitely have a lot to learn uh, as teachers out there and school leaders from Jen and her experience. So we welcome you, Jen, to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Eugene and Steve. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we're glad you're here. Um, you are a superhero educator. Um, that's what we defined when we wrote our book, Superhero Educator, how to teach with superior skills and success. And we have 15 traits in there. And when we go through that, those 15 traits, what makes a superhero educator, when I, when I go through it, uh, you pop in my head because I can pick so many of those traits that I say you're actually doing in the classroom each and every day. So let's go through your process with that. What, what makes you successful day to, day to day? I know a lot of superhero educators. It's great to be surrounded by those people who have that passion and drive. So that really helps me want to do better. And I think that teaching is my calling. I just, I can't do anything else but teach. That's what I, what I want to do. And my God-given gifts are the ones that I want to use just to impact all the kids in my classroom, outside of my classroom. You said you noticed the bat cave. I do that every year and kids will come back and they'll, they'll want to look at that. You know, do you have your bat cave up yet? I actually have a little stuffed animal, the beanie baby animals. And a few years ago, I had him come into the room. His name is Shadow. And the kids now write to him. Shadow will write to them. They'll write back to Shadow. How boring is it to write to your teacher, but to write to this bat? Right. And then he goes away and he hibernates. So now the question is, is Shadow back yet? I have third graders come to the room. Is Shadow back yet? Has Shadow come out of hibernation yet? So I just want to impact as many kids as I can. You know, that's my goal, to just touch as many kids as I can inside the classroom, outside the classroom, the families, everybody. All right, so just, just so... Just so our learners could, um, not learners, but our listeners can 
get the context. What grade level do you teach? And is it public or private? And then I have a follow-up question after that. Absolutely. I'm currently teaching first grade. I've taught first and second grade primarily, but I've taught a little bit in the primary grades. And I am in a private school. I have okay. done almost all my career in Lutheran schools. Um, yeah, so that's background on me. Okay, so, so I teach a lot of freshmen, sophomore level uh, education students, and they all have, they all tell me whether they're private or public, urban, suburban, like 90% of them will say, I have a calling to teach. And it's almost the answer you gave, but yours is well more defined. When did it go from, when did it for you, did it change from, I have, an, I have a calling to teach to I am outstanding at this profession? Do you remember the moment? I don't remember the moment, but I think it has to do with collaborating with people. When you collaborate with people who are very good, you want to be very good. You want to learn from them and learn with them. So the more that I do that, the more I surround myself with people that are strong leaders and strong learners, I want to keep doing that as well. So I don't know if anything really ever flipped the switch. In fact, sometimes I look at myself or, or I hear someone tell me that I'm the superhero educator and I'm like, oh, you know, I didn't feel like such a superhero educator today when something and something happened. So I'm still growing through that process for sure. I don't think a, a switch ever flipped I think that I'm continuing to grow. I'm a lifelong learner and I want to keep challenging myself to do new things. Um, so I don't, you know, I'm not sure that I ever really discovered when that happened. Gotcha. So how, how do you find those people to collaborate with? Cause I think that's an important concept to, to surround yourself with people that push you that, that have the same drive as you. And it's important to collaborate. How do you find those collaborators? It's not always easy to do. Sometimes they find you. Sometimes it's through professional development and just um, being with around other people. Sometimes it has to do with something that you're interested in. A number of years ago, I was interested in finding a better way to teach my reading rather than maybe group here, group there. And by doing that, I went to some professional development and I through the back door kind of found out about something at the time that was called the Four Blacks Literacy Model which I piloted in the school and worked with that for a while. And that's kind of evolved into some other things right now. It's not called that anymore, but um, that's how I find people. You know, when I'm sitting down with people over lunch or over coffee or you're on the web and you're chatting with people, you find people with similar interests. And then you find people who are engaging and maybe trying new things. Oh, I heard about this, or I'm learning how to do this. You know, so right now with this distance learning that we're doing, I'm gravitating to people who know how to do some of those things, who can teach me some of those things. And then maybe others will gravitate toward me as I learn how to do some of those things and we can share some of those ideas. You know, I like what you said about distance learning. And I'm, I'm guessing at the date of this recording, um, depending on when your um, spring break was, this is either your second or first week of distance of complete distance learning? Um, this is finishing up our spring break. So next week we'll start week two. Okay, next week we'll start week two. Correct. So 
just to stay in the moment for a second, and I know Dr. Gurney is probably going to go a different direction, but just off week one, what is the biggest challenge you foresee with distance learning and what has been the biggest unexpected home run? Now, granted, that's only a week and things will change when you come back from spring break, but you had a chance to, to mix it up a little bit. Like, what are early projections? I think the biggest difficulty was or is the learning curve that teachers some were prepared for this some do a lot of distance learning some do a lot of e-learning but the vast majority don't okay. so so I think the learning curve there is just huge I like to get on things and just play with them and learn about them. I figured out how to do Zoom conferencing myself and how to share my screen and how to do all these things myself, just because I just naturally like to do that. But there are many teachers who are looking at that as an overwhelming task. Are, are you using Zoom as the main method or is it Google Classrooms or some other method? We have Google Classroom set up only in our sixth through eighth graders. Gotcha. They have the login information. So our lower grades are doing some Zoom meetings and some recordings that way. And just today we met and figured out the best way to put this into a document and link it on the drive. So we're not inundating the parents with email, email, yep. link, 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 link. So we're having one place to do that. But I think the learning curve is true for the teachers and for the parents Absolutely. and for the kids and, and the lack of technology or the lack of devices in their home. They have one device and three children that they're trying to you know, do something with or they're working and they've got a fourth grader a second grader and a kindergartner you know what what can i give to them that will be substantial and meaningful but will not take every moment of mom or dad's time to help them do that so that's been a challenge creating some of those different um really in-depth lessons for them to do something that's meaningful and then what, what was your other question? Oh, the biggest takeaway, the big thing. It has been really remarkable how much grace um, parents have given to the teachers and just how much support they've given to us. Not just the silly offhanded, boy, teachers are underpaid. I couldn't do this every day, all day, because they're not trained necessarily to do it all day, every day. But just the grace that they've given to us to just allow us to have some time to figure this out with them. And then the grace also that we as teachers are giving to them, that it, it's okay that you're not doing all of this exactly as you think the teacher would be doing it. It's okay. Gotcha. That's really good news to hear about that, that grace that the parents give. How do you think, how do you think this will happen? We talk a lot about uh, respect of teachers or lack of respect of teachers across the country. There's been strikes in certain public school districts, Chicago, Oklahoma City, other areas um, around our country. So after we come out of this, and I'm gonna put it in quotes, back to normal, do you think there'll be more respect for teachers or less respect for teachers? I don't think we're ever gonna come back to normal. Hmm. I don't think so. I know that this already is going to change my way of teaching just from the technology point of view that now I have more tools at my fingertips. 
I, I, I am learning so much through this process of doing these things online and collaborating with people online that it's going to change totally how I teach. So I don't think it's ever going to be back to normal. I would hope that we would have a resurgence in respect for teachers. You know, I would, I would hope that, that parents and kids alike would understand the challenges with teaching, but the rewards within that as well. That's, that's interesting because I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's ever going to go back to normal, but I do think the respect level is going to increase. Um, I, while, while you were talking, it just, my mind went to, if this online learning is somewhat successful, now it all depends on how you define successful learning, but if, if this is somewhat successful, it makes traditional Steve, traditional Eugene, traditional Jennifer, it, it makes us somewhat obsolete. Like we're kind of forced. Now people that are super traditional are gonna have a problem with what I'm saying, mm -hmm. but if this works to a degree, whatever that degree is, because it's not just Chicago doing this, it's, it's the whole world is doing this. It's everything that we were told we can't do, we're doing. And that could be either really good or, or I can see how someone could view it as, as pretty ugly. But it is a weird space to be in because we want this to work because we don't want our kids to drop off. But if we're saying kids aren't dropping off because of this, then we have to question what we're doing every day. And if you don't change, you become irrelevant. So it's a relevancy piece that I, I do agree will have some kind of hybrid model that won't go away because, because otherwise you won't be relevant. Because you put millions of students online using this technology, you cannot pull that back and say, now we're not going to use that technology that we found useful for, for a short period of time. Uh, so it's a relevancy piece. I think you have to qualify, did it succeed or not? You know, that's, yes. the, first thing. Yes. that's yes. the first thing that yes. you're going to have to do. And that's going to be very challenging. What, what are your standards? What are you trying to meet here? Because you've had to adjust some of that during this whole thing. So you have to do that first. And then I think, I think it's going to have to be a blend of them. I don't think it's going to replace that traditional teacher. I think that, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that would be jumping quickly to, to something that I don't think would be useful. Right. And we haven't been able to answer, which is probably the most frustrating through all this, the, the, the have and the have nots of having the technology, having the internet connection, point. Uh, having the Chromebooks where I can take home versus I'm going to have some worksheets available if you can pick them up or not even have that. So that is probably the most frustrating in our country if you see that high social economics uh, school districts, they're fine. The other ones, um, not good at all. So I think that's, that's probably what we really have to look at as, as a country and figure out how do, we, how do we help those students. But isn't that always the issue? It is, it that's is. the issue. And I that's think this accelerated it. Oh, I agree. Or really brought it to, to light, really showed the difference. Yes. Yeah. That, that is true. How would you, for someone not in the Chicago area, how would you explain the K-12 scene collectively to our listeners? Uh, in public and parochial all combined? Is that what sure. you're asking? Sure. Um, I would say that it's growing and evolving all the time. You're seeing more and more early childhood centers pop up, more and more. 
because it's financially a boom for both public and private. So you're seeing more of those. You're seeing more of an emphasis in kindergarten. Um, I would say that there, like any other er, any other city, there are areas where there are poverty, where there's poverty, and and they need things, and there are areas where they have a lot of things. So there's that disparity and discrepancy, like in any big city. Mm -hmm. um, more and more of the the high schools are pushing toward college academia, and college credit. More and more and more, they're doing that. Um, more and more e-learning, definitely in the high school level and a lot more pressure on those kids. In fact, I see that pressure even into the filtering down into the junior high. Sure. To succeed, to be able to go to the high school that they want so they can go to the college that they want. A lot of pressure on kids. Emotionally, I think it's a strain. Yeah, that, that kind of sounds like what we have, what we have here. Um, one of the things that, that you, one of the things that you didn't say that we have here, and I don't know if it happens there, it's like there's this huge, seem like there's this tug of war often between public and private, right? And, and the people are at odds with each other. But in reality, the best teacher in a private school, the best teacher in a public school, it looks the same. Like the teacher that struggles the most looks the same. But you often have this, this tug of war here in Milwaukee that I wonder, does it exist in other places? I think that it does. We don't have choice in Illinois. So that makes a little different picture for us with regard to our, our enrollment. But my current situation is in a pretty affluent suburb of Chicago. So we are always trying to one better the public school. Why are you going to give us all that money, right? Sometimes I think we are um, misleading ourselves in putting the focus on the wrong things. I think we both can have excellent technology. We both can have sports programs. We both can have some of these things. And I think it needs to come down to other things that would make the difference between the public and the parochial school. I don't see so much better than, you know, issues. Um, but we are kind of trying to get the same children, whether or not we have choice, right? We're, right. Still, trying, we're still trying to get the same child. Absolutely. So wherever you're at, Jen, whatever school, and I've been able to uh, watch and observe you in the classroom, watch and see what's happening at, at the schools you were at, you're always the teacher leader. So teachers, I've seen young teachers come to you, ask you strategies, ask you ideas, sometimes just for support emotionally um, as things get difficult. So you're always the teacher leader, the go-to person for a lot of teachers. What do you need then as this teacher leader from your administrator? Uh, Eugene and I were both uh, administrators and we've had great teachers and we've had teachers that need lots of improvement and we had teachers that we needed to uh, let go. And then we had teachers like yourself that just were, were just rock stars and great teachers and everyone looked to them before they would come to our office. They would, they'd come to your classroom. So what do you need from an administrator? I think I need from an administrator and I want from an administrator the same things that I want to give to my children, right? My children come to me and I want them to know that they're valued, that they're loved, that I respect them, that I care for them. I want that same thing from an administrator, that he values me, he values my time, right? That he would support me, that he would pray for me, 
I want him to be visible in my classroom a great deal in the hallways. I also want him to be able to collaborate with me, but also let me be empowered, right? Let me, when I want to try something, let me try that thing. I remember one principal, um, when I told him that I wanted to do more teacher-directed activities for um, phonics and spelling, and he said, well, what are you going to do about a book? And I'm like, well, here's the good news. It's going to save you a lot of money because I'm not going to buy the book. He's like, what are you going to do instead? And I tried to explain to him what I was going to do instead, that these were going to be teacher-driven activities. The kids were going to be moving, hands-on stuff with spelling and with phonics. And he let me do it. So, you know, that's, that's giving me um, the foundation to be a risk taker, to try things. But I also want him to give me that constructive feedback, right? I want him to be able to sit down and tell me that didn't work or this is a situation that you're having. So I think a lot of the things that I need from the administrator are the same things that I really want to bless my class with. I like that phrase. I never, I never heard it phrased like that. I think that's, that's something easy to remember and also uh, profound in the fact of how you want, it's the same for both. You would think, uh, I, I never heard that before. So I, I think that's a good thought to have for everybody out there, that simple phrase of you'd want it just like you demand of, of your students, the students want of you. Those same characteristics come to the table, value, love, respect, mm -hmm. empowerment. How would, what, what advice would you give to a brand new teacher? So we have many students who are going through educational programs, getting ready to graduate. What are a couple must must-haves or things you better focus on immediately to be successful your first year? I would say that you should seek out, if it is not given to you, a really strong mentor. Um, I, I think that somebody that is going to be there in that building, walking you through things, helping you out, and if that's not assigned to you, you should be asking around. I've had student teachers email me back and say, you know, Jen, I've got this question, or can you send me what your idea was for that? So somehow seek out somebody to help you and to support you. I would say they also very beginning of the year when you're hitting the ground running, be organized, have your plans in place, have your procedures in place, and right from the beginning start building relationships. Build those relationships with the kids so that they understand those same things I just said, that they're cared for, they're loved, they're respected, and they're valued. And then go further and build those relationships with those families. Take time to build relationships and understand what that family needs and what that background is like. I would say keep being innovative, collaborate, keep learning, and probably give yourself a lot of grace. You know, you're not going to do it all perfectly right away. Maybe try to tackle one thing at a time as a problem comes up. If you're struggling with classroom management, work on the classroom management and get that down. If your classroom management is solid and you're struggling on planning, maybe talk to somebody about how you can bolster up your planning. But give yourself a lot of grace. That first year teaching is tough. Does it change as for those veteran teachers out there, minus the mentor, Maybe they still have a mentor, but what advice? I am 20 years in education. Uh, what advice do you have for those teachers? I would challenge them to not be complacent, 
to still have drive, to still have grit, to still challenge things that are told to them, you know, not take things at face value, look at data, make sure that your decisions are data driven, read, 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 you know, read professional development, read material, um, join professional organizations would be another great thing. Mentor. It's wonderful to mentor someone younger, but also be a mentor. I mean, be mentored by someone, you know, have, have someone that you can sit down and collaborate with over a cup of tea or a, a glass of wine or something that you can, someone that you can sound ideas off of and never stop growing, never stop learning, never stop trying something new. My classroom never looks the same year to year. I can't pull out last year's plan book and just go, this is the plan book for this year. I can't do that. Thank you for that advice. We're with Jen Graff, superhero educator out of Chicago. And we have probably time for one more question. How does, so you're a person of strong faith and how does that impact as you're in the classroom day to day? I was raised in a Christian home. My parents were the best example of grace every day, of mercy every day, of the love of Jesus every day. So this was just instilled in me. I have eight brothers and sisters. I have four sisters. All five of the girls are teachers. So it is just something that has been brought up in me to be a teacher, to be a leader, and to just kind of impart that. I don't think there's any greater calling for me to be um, a teacher and then to be a, a Christian educator. So I incorporate that in my daily lessons and everything that I do. For example, right now during Lent, we focus on prayer. So I have a huge prayer wall out in the hall. I literally just took paper taped it to the hallway so it's at kid height and we focus on um, adore confess think and, su and supplicate so we work on those prayers and I worked up a whole thing for my kids but I've got sticky notes out there and I've got pencils out there so children can walk by and add those sticky notes to that prayer wall and we would go out there and we pray the prayer wall so I'm kind of working it into my classroom but then those second and third graders they come back people that go down the hall stop and pray and they, they look at that and we're just kind of all coming together as a family when we do that. I have, I have one question just to follow up with that. Absolutely. Okay. So often you will have a faith-based school and it doesn't matter whether it's Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, non-denominational and the school will get an influx of students that don't belong to any faith at all. Correct. And so what you described may mean something to me, you and Steve. Correct. But that may be another language for them. How do you, mer how, how do you merge that and develop an understanding for some individuals who may not be there for the faith component? It just may be your school just may be different from the school down the street. And we had a bad experience at the school down the street and we got in to your school over here. Like, how do you, how do you build that with, with that student? We have many kids who are not part of our, you know, faith organization, many. And I think it, it has to go back to the building of the relationships there. So I let those parents number one know from the get go that I care about them. 
that I care about their families and I care what's going on. Every week I send home a letter and a note saying we're praying for these two families this week and I ask for prayer requests. And whatever those families are walking through at that time, one year I had a little brother who was going through surgery who was really sick for like two month period. That family knew that I was walking with them. So I think regardless of if you tie your faith into there or not, we're, you know, we're Jesus with skin. I'm just letting these people know that I love them and that I care about them. I'm not going to inundate them with my theology. I'm going to show them by what I'm doing and what I'm saying that I care about them. That's how I'm going to just welcome them along on the journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's outstanding. Outstanding. Like the whole interview is just outstanding. If this doesn't motivate someone to teach or to improve, I don't know. I don't know what will. Now, we, we like to close our show out in a special way, and, and it kind of works like this. I'm going to say a couple things I have going on. Dr. Garner is going to say a couple things he has going on. But we want to have you do either a special shout out to your classroom or to however you want to take it. We're going to give you opportunity for that. So I'm going to go first. Dr. Garner go second. And Jennifer, you're going to go third. Uh, want to give... Uh, shout out to all the educators out there. Um, we know you're working hard. Um, keep pushing. Our students deserve it. Your students deserve it. And we'll get through this together. Also want to give a reminder to our listeners out there. The book Superhero Educator is out there right now. Amazon, Barnes & Noble. So if you need a break from everything that's going on, um, choose, choose our book. You, you'll love it. Also, there, uh, the book Gumbo for the Soul, Volume 3, yours truly, Rope Chapter 53. Dr. Garner. Well, we want to thank Jen. We were speaking with Jen Graff, superhero educator out of Chicago. We thank you for your wisdom, your insights. You actually gave us a t-shirt idea when you had Jesus with skin. I see it as a nice t-shirt for all those educators out there as well. Get connected with the Center for Urban Education Ministries. The Center for Urban Education Ministries is relentlessly strengthening urban education through recruitment resources and recognition. So get involved, follow us on Instagram and look at our website. Jen? I just wanna thank you guys so much for having me on and chatting it up with me because this is what I love to do. I love to talk about education. I love to talk to people who, who know what they're talking about in education. I think your book is fantastic. I've read it twice. Um, I just wanna shout out to my first graders at St. Peter and the families there just are phenomenal. I love them. First graders, I want you to know how much I love you and how much Jesus loves you and that I'm praying for you and God's blessings over all of you. That's, out, that's outstanding. That's outstanding. One last little question before we officially close out. Bears or Packers? I don't like football. Brewers or Cubs? Cubs, 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 Cubs. Bucks or Bulls? I just, I don't like basketball either. Oh, you just said. I like college. I like college basketball. Okay, Badgers or Illini? No, you know, actually, we're Gonzaga fans. What? <laughs> I know. It's Zags. I got two boys. Okay. Two boys growing up, Gonzaga fans. One's a Duke fan. The other one's a Zags fan. Okay, we can let you slide with that. Right. <laughs> That's better than the Cubs, so, yeah, we'll let you slide. <laughs> On that note, uh, we're just about done, good people. Um, make sure you let all your family, friends, and other educators know. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple, 
and on the platform Podbean. Um, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Make sure you share it with others. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks again for listening to our Superhero Education Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and key concepts to battle the chaos and save the day for all students. Boldly transform lives and be a superhero educator.